The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them to a high mountain apart by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzlingly white, such as no fuller on earth could bleach them. Then Elijah the prophet appeared to them along with Moses, and they were conversing with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus in reply, Rabbi, it's good that we are here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He hardly knew what he was saying. He was so terrified. Then a cloud came, casting a shadow over them, and from the cloud a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, look around. They no longer saw anyone but Jesus, and they were alone with him. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead meant. The Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many do not know the whole story of Abraham and his son Isaac? The whole story. One, two, three, four, five, six, a few. Okay. And so the rest of you know the whole story. <laughs> um, okay, let's do a quiz. Why was Isaac so special to Abraham? And it, well, hold on. Go ahead. His only son. Keep going. That's it? Well, I, I, all at once. One, I got two ears, but I only can listen to one voice at a time. Say what? I, I got to come over here. Well, don't scream. I, don't, I can't hear you. Say it again. Okay. Abraham is very old. Any, anything else? Say it again. Yeah, that's, that's what today's story, he was going to sacrifice him. But why is Isaac so special? Oh. His wife is... She was barren, right, for a long time, yes? From Wisconsin, we got the answer from Wisconsin, front, front row. I'm sorry, say it again. Well, good, but if Isaac's dead on the, on the Holocaust, ain't no generations flowing from that. Okay, so we're trying to figure out why Isaac is so important. For many reasons, the last but most important is that he becomes for us a symbol of Christ, Isaac. Now, 
This is Abram. Abraham was called by God from Mesopotamia, go to the promised land, find the land. He found the land, built up the crops and all this. And he and his wife were elderly by then. Now, elderly could have been like 30. It's not like they were 90. But because childbearing years, women were younger. But if they hit a 30, 40 mark, they were old, you know, in, in, in that time. So Abraham and Isaac, and excuse me, his wife Sarah, have no children, but they listen to God. They, they okay, we'll take up everything and go to the promised land. And Isaac comes as a reward, you might say, because they're elderly. They have no prodigy, no no one to pass it on to, and they ask God for this favor. You got time. You're not going anywhere. Let me tell you the whole story. Um, Abraham is sitting on his property, and as was the custom, the women served the men. And three people went by, and they looked hungry and hot. Don't forget, this is a nomadic people. They're out in the desert. And Abraham says, come in, have something to eat. Relax. And of course, he calls Sarah, who is in the kitchen, not a kitchen, but she's behind them, and she comes out with food and, and refreshments. Now, in the scriptures, this is the book of Genesis, these three are regarded as angels or God. It's, it's confusing, but there's something holy about these three. But Abraham doesn't know that. He just sees three strangers. So they eat, they refresh, they go on their way. Then they come back and they say to Abraham, because you were so generous and hospitable, next year when we come back this route, your wife will be pregnant with a baby, even though he's old and she's old. Now, the wife is inside. She hears this, and the scriptures say she shows her teeth, which means she smiled, she laughed. <laughs> if these three would only know how old this wife was and how barren she is. To laugh or show your teeth, the word is Isaac. Guys come back the next year, and sure enough, She's pregnant, and she gives birth to Isaac. That is a big promise, because Abraham heard from God that he was going to be the, the father of many people. He didn't even have a son when God said this, but he had faith. And for us, that's the key, faith, hanging on to God. So Isaac is born, raises up, he's probably like 12 years old. God comes back to him. Now, I don't know how God appeared to him in a dream, in a vision. In a, I don't know. I wasn't there. But not, nothing visible, like the old man would appear. Not, not that. We know that. So God says to Abram, you are so faithful. You've been so good. You, you're, you're multiplying. Your, your sheep are growing. Your kids, your Isaac has, has life. He says, do me a favor. Now, background, during this time of the Semitic culture, 
it was not uncommon, as a matter of fact, it was very common, to try to appease God by offering him an emulation, a sacrifice. To appease God best, you offer him your firstborn child. Just gets you right in the heart, just hearing that. The pagans did that. Abraham knew the pagans did that. Again, don't forget, this scripture is being written looking back into history, because no one was there taking notes, and updated. So God says to Abraham, take that kid that you adore. He's like your golden child. You love him so much. Bring him to a mountain where sacrifices take place and sacrifice him to me. What does that mean? Cut him open on an altar, light the altar on fire, and he becomes an emulation. I don't know what kind of courage and faith Abraham had, but it was terrific. He said, yes. <laughs> Think of my mother. Not my father so much, but my mother. She would have told God where to go. Ain't no way. She had two sons, and we're both spoiled. And we're both only children. And the, Italian, the Italians understand that, okay? She would have told God, no, Abraham didn't. Because Abraham had faith in God and how he understood God. And again, this, this is us during Lent trying to deepen our faith in God so that when we leave here, no matter where we go, we know God is with us. And we're not going to see him, you know, this tall beard. No, he's with us. So, Abraham does that. The kid is carrying the fuel, puts the kid on the altar, takes the knife. And I, very obedient kid. He didn't, he didn't protest. We don't have any of that stuff. Takes the knife, and as he's going to stab the kid as a sacrifice to God, an angel of the Lord grabs his hand, he says, no, don't do anything to that child. Your willingness showed God how much faith you have. Think of us. Every one of us is praying for somebody who's ill. I have a list that's very long, including my niece and a good friend back, back home, Bill. Very ill. And when we're tempted with the need to pray because someone we know closely is ill. We get, among other things, angry at God. And this shows Abraham as the beginning of our ancestry as a Judeo-Christian people, fidelity to God through thick and thin. Isaac is the model of Jesus, don't forget, Paul talked about it today in his readings. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, and he was in charge, saying yes to the Father, and the Father allowed him to go to the cross for you and for me. Sacrifices are done so that there is an end, so that there's results. It's like a bargain, you might say. I'll do this, so you do that. Jesus did that so we could be saved and brought 
to the kingdom of God. So Abraham becomes a major figure in our ancestry as Judeo-Christians. Isaac is a great example of living faith, the faith that Sarah and Abraham had in God and allowed his son Isaac to live and become the father, as you said, the father of many generations. But we're talking about Abraham in the Old Testament. How does that relate to Jesus in the New Testament? That becomes the altar upon which Jesus is sacrificed, the altar of the cross. When we gather here at this altar or any altar throughout the world every day, we're offering the sacrifice of the cross again, and we're one with Calvary and the resurrection. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. So we're reliving the crucifixion and the resurrection every time we gather at Mass to embrace, whether in our hands and our mouth, the body and blood of God, Jesus Christ. More real than Isaac. The Jews know this. Jesus knows this. And the time has come in his ministry, according to Mark's Gospel, for him to give some insight to his followers. Now, his followers saw him raise people from the dead, multiplied bread, walked on water. They saw him do all this. Forgive, love, beyond imagination. So he brings them to the mountainside. In Scripture, whenever you hear mountain, it's theophany. Theophany means uh, revelation of God on some level. He's not the only one. There's tons of them throughout Scripture. But when you hear, we're going to the mountain, and we think of Martin Luther King's great speech, going to the mountain means meeting God in a very special way in the Scriptures. So Jesus says, come on, guys, Peter, James, and John, Probably his closest associates, those who really knew Jesus, or thought they knew Jesus. And there, they say, he's there, there are no words that really capture what happened. He was transfigured. One word, it's easy, it's over. His clothes became as white as snow, and his face as bright as the sun. Now we're getting closer. This is a theophany. This is God revealing himself in his son Jesus, and then, who appears to him, the ancient prophets, who were going to usher in the Messiah. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the one who is going to bring the Messiah to the people of Israel. And they're talking to Jesus. Now, Peter, James, and John probably dirty, dirty themselves. I mean, pure and simple. The scripture says Peter didn't know what he was saying. He was so terrified. Coincidentally, it's around the Feast of Booths. What's that? It's a feast of thanksgiving, and some of your Jewish friends still celebrate that. It's a feast of thanksgiving that takes place after the harvest. People go outside and make little tents or booths 
And we come from New York, so we see that all the time, especially in Brooklyn area. And, and throughout the country, wherever Jews are gathered, they'll build little tents outside and eat outside because it's a way of giving themselves over to God, completely trusting God, eating and celebrating the harvest. So Peter, being a good Jew, says, okay, uh, this, is, this is the harvest time. Uh, this is a revelation from God. Let's build three booths. Makes sense. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. <laughs> and the script, Mark Mark says, he didn't know what he was saying. You see, when you get caught up with God, you don't always, quote, know what you're saying. When you believe in God, when you trust in God, things are different. The world goes by. But God is communicating with you and me. And once God touches us, it ain't the same anymore. Once you believe in God, once you accept Jesus in your life, you, you, things are not the same. Your husband could be an alcoholic. Your, your wife could be a nasty. Or, it's not the same. We have a different way of looking at evil, different way of looking at pain in the world. Once we believe in God and hold on to him, just in case Peter, James, and John didn't get it, another theophany, a cloud. Again, if you read scripture, wherever you see a cloud, God's involved with that. It's, it's a metaphor, but it tells you about the presence of God. A cloud overshadows them. And out of the cloud, you heard a voice. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. You, you, and me. This is God talking to us. And this is a new way of looking at Jesus. Forget the miracle worker. Forget walking on water. Forget multiplying bread. This is God revealing his son to us in a magnificent, outstanding supersonic way. And they're there. Peter, James, and John? No, you, you. You and me. We're there. When we come to the Eucharist, we're in the presence of the transfigured Jesus Christ. From bread to his body. From wine to his blood. And we can come up and say, yes, Lord Jesus, amen, because... God is speaking to us, saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Follow his example. That's where we come to church, to be more intimately united with him. And when we hear the words of Jesus in his scriptures, to love, to feed, to take care, we're challenged to keep him with us, I'm sure Peter, James, and John wanted to take that vision home with them and take Jesus transfigured home with them. That wasn't allowed. But they did take Jesus home with them. The same way you and I take Jesus home with us. In faith. When we receive his body and blood in the Eucharist, we take him everywhere with us. 
And we become the face of Jesus transfigured. We become the children of God. And God can say about every one of us, these are my beloved children. But only if we hold on to faith in Jesus. To really believe that when we pray to him, he hears us. And to hold on to that faith, as Peter, James, and John did. Hey, don't forget, they saw Jesus go through a lot of stuff after this. They saw Jesus beaten, scourged, hung on a cross. But you and I are here today in 2024 because they held on to that faith in Jesus. Come hell or high water, we're holding on to Jesus so we can pass Jesus on to the next generation and the next generation until he's here with us now. And we now pass it on to our children, our ancestors, our family, the world, the politicians, we who hold on to Jesus, who see the face of Jesus, must pass him on because the Father says, listen to him.